You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Today's reading is a poem titled The America I Know Could Use a Good Cry by Marcus Amaker. Charleston, South Carolina's first poet laureate, and also a graphic designer and musician. I met America at a neighborhood bar. He offered me a shot of rum and I reminded him that Captain Morgan was a slave owner. So the bartender awkwardly slipped another liquid lie down my throat. I ordered another drink and was channeled by dark spirits, the courage of black ghosts who haunt American dreams. I told him I loved him and I wanted him to sleep well, but I know I've been in your nightmares, I said. I want to be your friend, but only if it's a deep relationship. Only if you show me that you are not scared of your baggage, bring your whole history to the table. America cracked open another beer as a tear ran down his face, he said. I was born in a house not my own, and my fathers demanded that their portraits hang on every wall. White paint covers each brown brick, and our backyard is a museum of unmarked graves. Despite this, a garden grows, I said. Every home can be torn down and rebuilt again, but I've been told I shouldn't completely let you in, he said. Some people in my family stand in the doorway blocking the entrance. He left before I could tell him that my people have a history of finding ways inside broken spaces and making them whole again. Now is the America I know could use a good cry by the poet Marcus Amaker. Tomorrow afternoon, many of us and thousands of us, weather permitting, across Lexington and across our country, will march a familiar course. For us, it will be in downtown Lexington. It's a path that many of us are familiar with. The marching often quickly becomes a brisk movement through the city, for it is bitingly cold this time of year, as it will be tomorrow. The aim of such a gathering is also familiar, to honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., to honor his life, his legacy, and his death. To realize at once there's a reason his dream was so powerful and why it is still talked about. It has not yet been realized. But also to hear new dreams coming alive in the hearts and minds of African Americans and really all Americans. Dreams of hope, dreams of promise, dreams where we not only envision a better tomorrow, but we align our lives, our values, our actions, toward its creation. We do this again and again, not just in memory of Dr. King this weekend, but whenever we gather at a vigil, at a justice event, a pride event, another march or parade, and so on and so on. Lobbying our lawmakers, setting up and putting away chairs, something so simple, belting out songs of freedom and hope, just being there. Whatever it is, I like to believe we human beings live our values in such a way because there is a part of us that never loses hope. So we'll march tomorrow, as we've done many times before. Now I'm always left wondering, though, 
whether you attend the march or any of the other several wonderful events in honor of Dr. King, or all of them. Whatever it is we do together, do we leave changed? I really wonder that. I ask myself that every time. I wonder about it when our beliefs and actions converge in that moment. What moves us to change? And by extension, does the world change because we do? Now, we could spend all day digging into philosophical ethics if we wanted. If you share those same questions, though, I invite you to carry them with you. I wonder about this because I do see the world changing. I see it changing rapidly, often in bewildering ways. Bewildering not because I always applaud or decry whatever that change is, but because the pendulum swings so quickly and forcefully in this age we live in. All you need to do is look to politics, social issues, the climate, dig deep into any problem facing us as a community, a nation, a species, and you can see that pendulum picking up speed. That's just my opinion on the matter. Maybe a more apt symbol is a roller coaster. Here we are right now, slowly climbing to the top of yet another hill before the rapid descent. Will it be exhilarating? excruciating, or both? I have no idea. In this wondering, in this rapid-fire world of ours, I also find myself continually frustrated with progressivism. Now, as a religious and spiritual movement, Unitarian Universalism is decidedly progressive, and that's not supposed to be an explicitly political statement. But in our hyper-partisan world, it's hard to avoid that. The confluence of religion and politics is right there. As a tradition, Unitarian Universalism is committed to reproductive justice, stewarding the environment, affirming LGBTQ plus persons as whole, holy, and good, dismantling racism and other injustices, and so on and so on and so on. All of these things are also staunchly partisan today. And really, all we need to do is just admit that. Realize we cannot fix hyperpartisanship alone. And I would add, don't let that be a reason why we shy away from our values and commitments. Because that's where my frustration, as someone who's been a Unitarian Universalist for most of my life, that's where it still happens. When we shy away from our values, our commitments. And as always, here's the disclaimer. I do not sit in any seat of judgment up here because I am so guilty of this. I am right there with many of you, and I can only speak from my own experience. My greatest hope for any movement in our nation, our world, that holds similar values and commitments as we do, is for none of us to shy away. None of us to let our voices be drowned out by intolerance and hatred. To speak our truths with conviction to answer the calls for action, to realize our values are not just pithy little statements that are on a wallet card in our pocket, but statements that have and continue to transform lives. And this weekend, celebrating Dr. King and in every call to action, that's what's at stake. And we all have a part to play, some part. Whether at a march or ensuring a place like this continues to thrive, it's all included. Now, I recently found myself 
rereading Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail. Who, who's read it? Who's read it in its entirety? <laughs> it's a long letter. And Dr. King even jokes about it at the end of it and says it's more of a book than a letter. But he writes, what else is there to do when you are alone for days in the dull monotony of a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think strange thoughts, and pray long prayers? It's a piece of writing where one of Dr. King's most famous passages is lifted often. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Powerful words that resonate today. Powerful words that still underscore much of what we strive for. But I often feel the reading of the letter from Birmingham jail ends right there in those opening paragraphs. Because what comes next is something that you don't often hear lifted up this weekend. Here's Dr. King's words. He writes, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises us to wait until a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. A lot of folks don't like that passage, or have never heard it. My own education as a youth in Dr. King's words and life was limited to the I Have a Dream speech, which was played over the intercom throughout my schooling. In college, it went just a little deeper but was still limited to sound bites that were meant to just inspire us. And I remember first reading those words in seminary from my internship supervisor in Oak Park, Illinois. And as they were read and heard, I felt a sinking feeling and I was uncomfortable because there were many times in my life where I acted exactly as Dr. King described affirming someone's efforts, but encouraging them to seek a more convenient season, to compromise, to calm down, or let's discuss it a little more because now is not the time for action. I do believe, however, that these words can be just as inspiring, if not still just as biting as any other quote from Dr. King 
Because right there in that critique of white moderates, there's a path to action, a path to justice, a path to building what King called the beloved community. And he lays it all right, right out there for us. Seek justice instead of avoiding it. Live in the tension even if it's uncomfortable. And the most convenient season for the cause of freedom is right now. Now, Dr. King mentioned two great disappointments. Here's the second. He writes, I have been disappointed with the white church and its leadership. When I was suddenly catapulted into the leadership of the bus protests in Montgomery several years ago, I felt that the white ministers, priests, and rabbis would be some of our strongest allies. Instead, some few have been outright opponents, refusing to understand the freedom movement and misrepresenting its leaders. All too many others, however, have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. The anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. He continues, there was a time when the church was very powerful. Things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the art supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. Now, where are those words coming alive for you today from Dr. King? Are they coming alive? Do they resonate with you? Are they making you want to crawl out of your skin and leave? Or are they breathing life into your commitment to build justice, to build a more just and loving world? Now, for me, they come alive in questions. Questions for each and every one of us. Why are we here as a church? That's a good question. A unique church, but still calling ourselves a church nonetheless. Do we have an ineffectual voice and an uncertain sound? I love that turn of phrase there, uncertain sound. There's a whole lot of people and organizations in this world that say a great deal, but you never know exactly what they're really saying. Do we want to maintain the status quo? Are you happy with what's happening in our world every single day? Are you? Are you? <laughs> I think most Unitarian Universalists would say, absolutely not. We want to see change in the world. We want to be heard. There is no uncertainty in our hearts or minds. Now that's the power of a constructive but loving critique to foster a reaction, whatever that reaction might be to wake us up to what we might be doing that is not serving us well or the world, to push us to change and grow, to get clear with what really matters in our lives, our community, and the values we hold. So what do we do with this? Do we march around downtown Lexington tomorrow? Yeah, many of us will. We do so in memory, realizing a dream unfulfilled and many more dreams from communities seeking freedom. But we don't end it right there. Now, I believe this community is committed to justice, increasingly so. I've seen it with my own eyes over the time I've served here as your minister. 
I've seen it come alive. As one of the newest members of BUILD, which stands for Building a United Interfaith Lexington Through Direct Action, we have one of the strongest showings of all the congregations that are a part of that organization. And there are more opportunities for us to show up. Absolutely, there always are. But even right now, our representation is significant and it keeps growing. And it should keep growing. Being a part of an organization that has seen significant successes over the last 20 years, such as ensuring affordable housing is tied in Lexington to the growing city budget, or drug treatment programs for incarcerated women, or restorative justice practices in schools, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And being a part of this, we're also in direct contact with people across Lexington who are crying out for justice. People that don't look like us, believe like us, or have the same experiences. And even then, we're also discovering there are people right in our midst, maybe right next to us, who are suffering too. That is a powerful thing to be a part of, all of it. Because in fostering relationships, we discover that when we avoid the calls to action in our time, we're hurting people we know, people we love, people we see every week in this place. And it's modeled directly after the nonviolent direct action that inspired Dr. King and the movement he led. And coming with it are the same challenges though. And Dr. King's critiques still feel relevant. This year in my own role as the vice chair of BUILD, I've been present to already a lot of the critiques thrown our way. It sounds a lot like the critique Dr. King was responding to. Isn't there a more convenient season for Lexington to address the issues it faces? Isn't it bullying to demand those in power say with clarity and not an uncertain sound where they are with an issue? Or even, it's extremism to demand change, and so on. But again, I turn to Dr. King as he was reflecting on being called an extremist. He writes, But as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being called an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Was not John Bunyan an extremist? I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a mockery of my conscience. Was not Abraham Lincoln also an extremist? This nation cannot survive half slave and half free. He continues, so the question is not whether we will be an extremist, but what kind of extremists will be? Will we be extremists for hate? Or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice? Or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? Extremists for love, that's another great turn of phrase there. An extremist for love is not just a sign-wielding marcher for justice, but that's a good thing too. An extremist for love ensures a community like ours provides home and healing for the wounded, and there are many wounded in our midst. An extremist for love knows that our thriving should be shared with the wider world, so they don't hesitate to share our message. An extremist for love knows that no matter how small an act of generosity, it matters and should be celebrated. An extremist for love does not have an uncertain sound, 
they speak their values freely. An extremist for love meets people where they are, but always offers a challenge to grow. An extremist for love shows up, bears witness, and participates in repairing our world. This Martin Luther King Day, as I march around downtown Lexington in the cold, I hope to emerge recommitted to be an extremist for love, for living my values, for knowing amidst everything that each and every one of us and then some will face, I have to try. And I take comfort knowing I'm not alone in this, that there have been good people throughout history who have already done this and shown the way. And that work will continue and continue and continue. My hope for all of you is that you too emerge transformed. Maybe not from a march around downtown Lexington, but from some other encounter. Some moment that brings you intimately connected with the needs of the world. Maybe even your own needs. And that you know that you have a place that, for causes such as this. We all do. The poem we heard earlier from Marcus Amaker gives us a glimpse of how these things tend to go. But I've been told I shouldn't let you in, America said. Some people in my family stand in the doorway blocking the entrance. America left before I could tell them that my people have a history of finding ways inside broken spaces and making them whole again. In celebration of the memory of Dr. King, to the good work we are called to, to bringing wholeness to our world, we march, we pray, we commit to our values, not with an uncertain sound, but with a resolute Amen, amen, and amen. May it be so. Blessed be. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.